0: Whatever it is, there's this right. idea that creativity is a, is a folly, mm-hmm. that it's not a monetizable career, that it's not of value the same way a linear and logical pursuit may be, mm-hmm. and that if you spend too much time doing creative things, it makes you soft. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we have to be hard as men is very much a modern convention, Uh, the ideal man of yesteryear was incredibly well-rounded. You know, the great warriors of antiquity were also well-versed in philosophy Mm -hmm. and the arts and metaphysics.
1: Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world because if not you then who i'm your host and fellow journeyman brian reeves brian with a y reeves men this way did you long ago bury your creative spirit so you could fit in Did you long ago stop writing poetry or songs or painting or drawing or doing whatever creative because it wouldn't make you money? Do you ever use drugs, alcohol, porn to bring your body alive, but in ways that you know don't serve you? Well, in this episode, my guest, Aryeh Orr, and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Arie Ork is a deeply wise and beautiful man. Arie, whose full name means Lion of Light, is also one of my brothers in the men's group I've been intimately a part of these last four years. He's a man I wouldn't likely otherwise have had the opportunity to experience and go deep with, even do conflict with, in healthy, respectful ways were it not for the container of our men's group. RA is an artist and an activist. He has so many creative things. And today our conversation flows and meanders through a landscape of interesting topics. We talk about creativity, how it gets choked out of us men at a young age, and why we men need to regularly be in the practice of creativity, and the stiffness that often sets into men's bodies when we cut off our creativity. We also talk about the thoughtful and intentional use of substances like psychedelic mushrooms and ayahuasca, even alcohol, for tapping into the wells of creativity. We talk about all that and more. And at the end, REA shares a profound and powerful spoken word poem called Dare to Dream, which you're going to want to listen to over and over again. But before we dive in, I want you to know that I only have two spots remaining for my Elevate 2023 year-long coaching adventure for men. If you're ready for profound personal growth and transformation and you want to make meaningful changes in the areas of your life that are most important to you, then consider joining me personally for an incredible year starting this January. Only 10 men are being invited to this, and already eight spots have been claimed at the time of this recording. We're still accepting applications, and you can hear the personal accounts of men going through this year's Elevate 2022 experience on my website at brianreeves.com elevate. It's brian with a y, reeves.com elevate. That's also where you apply. And if this speaks to you, please go apply now. We are about to sell this out, and I can assure you from my own personal experience, both being a part of uh, profound, powerful, uh, like-hearted men in men's groups and and both being part of it as a participant, but also in facilitating this Elevate experience, it is transformative. There is nothing <laughs> like we men learning how to deeply trust and feel safe with other men even as we are challenged by them. So, if that speaks to you, go apply now. brianreeves.com/elevate. All right. Back to my conversation with REA or now take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right. Let's dive. Mr. REA or welcome to Men This Way, brother. It is a privilege and an honor to have you on, man. Welcome.
0: Mr. Reeves, thank you for having me. Wow, this is, I think this is
1: conversation is a long time in coming. You and I have been, man, just blissfully, beautifully, uh, at times contentiously placed in a, a container of men together yep. for about three years now. And uh, wow, brother, it's been, what a dance. Over these years, man, between between two men who otherwise probably wouldn't really have had occasion to interact and engage and and uh, um, dance with each other, man. So, brother, you
0: are. That's you are, definitely a fair statement. Yeah. But how beautiful. I mean, I think the one of the most important aspects of the container that we're in is the diversity of background, experience, knowledge base. We have intentionally brought into the circle things that would normally be outside of our echo chamber, which is making us all stronger and better men.
1: 100%, man. And I tell you, you know, uh, and I will have said this in the introduction as well. You know, you, you are a man who just lives your flavor of man fully. I don't know how to do it any other way <laughs> unabashedly your flavor of man and i think that's one of the things i'm really excited to talk with you about uh, today is is you know when i was in the military many many years ago i i f- found myself starving for i didn't know this at the time i wouldn't have been able to articulate this but i found myself starving for different flavors mm. of not just men, but women, because even a lot of the women felt like men <laughs> of a certain, sure. of a certain flavor. And, you know, one of the great, just man, adventures of my life has been being around people such as yourself in the, in the years after I sought out people who demonstrated just different flavors of man that I could learn from and study. And so Aryeh, take us a little bit more into your background, your, you know, if you, how you became just this 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 flavor of man that you are today. And and this is a question that I like to ask my guests regularly is is um you know tell us about some significant event or experience that that played a fundamental role in your in shaping you as the man Mm -hmm. that you are today.
0: Well I mean my background is so unique. You know this, but I'll let our listeners in on it. So I come from a very unconventional family, to say the least. My mother white, Jewish, bisexual. My father is black, indigenous, and she, father, Mm. is trans. So she started hormone therapy just after my younger brother was born, which is about two years after me. But I have no memories of my father living in the masculine. So I never had a male role model growing up. And we were a part of the first openly LGBTQ Jewish synagogue in the world. Mm. So I had all these pairs of other aunties. And there was like one or two pairs of uncles, but obviously not your stereotypical masculine presence. Mm -hmm. So I was ostensibly raised by women and it became abundantly clear to me really early in life Mm -hmm. that to become a man i was going to have to seek out examples of positive masculinity and pick and choose and forge a puzzle because the picture was never there for me if anything you know what i saw on tv was as close to um, you know a clear picture of masculinity as one gets and over the years and especially after michelle because I'll probably be using their names I'll say Michelle is my father she was born Michael lives mm. as is Michelle Naomi's my mother
1: and what so, what age what age were you when when your father became Michelle
0: I mean she was Michelle from the jump they met my parents met mm. at a party in the valley like queer artists just all hanging out and as i said my mother's bisexual so she loved my father for mm. who she is. She mm. always knew it wasn't like a, you know, a, a later in the game like surprise, honey, this is who I am. Mm. So, she started hormone therapy just after my brother was born. But I have no memory of Michelle living in the masculine. Mm. She was always androgynous, and then just full feminine to me. Mm-hmm. And interesting at times, because her father was a man's man, uh, Air Force veteran Mm -hmm. like yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Black, traditional, Southern Christian, a man's man, worked with his hands, did all the things. So the influence of that kind of patriarchal leadership was still present in michelle to a degree Mm. and there were times in which she tried to flex authority and teach me lessons from that fatherhood stance and there was like a a dissonance because on an energetic level in some ways she wasn't that Mm. and then would try and bring in a, a level of discipline or a lesson from that energy and it never quite connected right
2: yeah
0: and i'm much bigger than both my parents somehow i'm a Beautiful genetic anomaly and an example of why we should be mixing up our gene pools all the time. So Michelle is 5'8 and change now, you know, shrunk as she's older, but like 5'9 on her best day. Mm. Naomi, my mother, is 5'3 and somehow I'm 6'2. So much bigger than my parents. So especially as I reached adolescence, like I was Michelle's height by the time I was 11. And probably weighed more than her then. By the time I was in high school, like looking down, like you can't tell me shit.
2: Mm.
0: And there were times where we definitely got a little physical and I was bigger, Mm. let's just say. Mm -hmm. But in terms of things that like really defined the man I am, I think the entire container and context of having such a non-conventional family, not having a singular reference point for masculinity and not just you know a singular a lack of kind of any consistently present i didn't get to know my black family growing up because michelle's gender identity it's not a choice make that clear it's just who she is that was difficult for her and her family to navigate so i didn't get to know my black family growing up i didn't beat my grandfather until i was an adult um not really close with most of the extended families um Mm. So it was really like this little bubble of us and me having to figure shit out.
1: Mm. Well, let me ask you some questions about this because one of the things that comes up for me is is there's this fear in the culture. Not not everybody, but it's significant enough. The fear that a boy raised by mostly women is... (sighs) Let me just ask you about your heterosexuality, or your sexuality, or whatever is your sexuality. Let, sure. let's, let's just lean right into that. What say you about that?
0: It's it's so beautiful and so interesting that you bring this up. Uh, I'm completely heterosexual, and there's never been a question. Because in my household, the gender identity conversation, the sexuality conversation, it was always an open book. There was nothing taboo. Like From the jump, we were having open dialogue about this is the full spectrum of humanity
2: mm-hmm. this
0: is where we are your parents this is where some people are this is the example that you'll see as normative yeah and whatever is true for you is okay yeah and i've never had even the slightest inkling to <laughs> explore yeah. because i don't think that gender identity or sexual orientation is at all a matter of nurture you know that's a big debate Mm -hmm. of nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. And I was nurtured in the queerest possible container that you could ever get. (laughs) And I am who I am. And it was, I had a really interesting experience. My former fiance, her stepfather, first time I went back to meet her family. And this is in small town, Florida, like Trump posters everywhere, Confederate flag in the garage. Mm. Couldn't make this shit up, but he was a correctional officer all the way Southern man. And he has an oldest son who's gay. And there was a, I think it was the second night we were there. We were having a conversation about nature versus nurture. And he said something about, you know, integrity of households. I was like, let me stop you because this is the story of my household. Mm. This is how I was raised.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm a completely straight man and you are a former correctional officer, Southern Christian ethics, morals. This is your box and your son is gay. So if that's not evidence that it has nothing to do with nurture and everything to do with innately who we are, then I don't know what is. And I think it was the first time in his life that he had truly let that land. Cause in some way I'm sure he felt a, a guilt of sorts, that he didn't X, he didn't Y, he didn't Z, because that homosexuality, unfortunately, is looked down on in so many traditional households. Wow.
1: Uh, I mean, I get, I get chills thinking about that. And, and I'm reminded of when I was in the military, um, early 20s.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember going through about this four-month period where I questioned, am I gay? I just I sat with that question, could I be gay? Because I noticed I could see a man and be like, okay, well, he's, he's an attractive man. Mm-hmm. Nobody made this safe for me. I'm in the fucking military right. asking this question at a time when it was still illegal. I mean, I don't know what it is now, but I know there's been some, some, some evolution has happened over the years. But when I, when I was in the military, this is shit, 20 years ago, <laughs> it was illegal. I could go to jail for being gay. And Mm. I remember still that question just wouldn't leave me for four months. And I sat and I just reflected on it. And I asked, and I do these little thought experiments. Like, what if I just started making out with this guy? What would that be like? Mm. You know, and that was one of the most important experiences of my life. Because after four months of just sitting in that thought experiment, I never acted on it, but but I thought about it, ruminated. I felt fear. Mm -hmm. I felt felt curiosity, felt all the things. And after four months, I realized, you know what? I'm heterosexual. I just really like women. That is just what I like. And it was so helpful that I, in the years following, when I would be in the presence of gay men, I felt so comfortable. I felt no fear, no, and I really, you know, in retrospect, I understood that even though nobody created that safe space for me. I mean, I love that you had, you grew up in an environment where people were just with what is. Yeah. And so you got to, what sounds to me like you got to just naturally find your way to your truth without resistance from the people around you or or any kind of dogmatic imposition
0: on who you are supposed to be. Not just lack of resistance, full on encouragement. to just <laughs> Yeah be whoever you are like you can be or do anything was a recurring talk track there were no limitations and that's another one of the most important things about how I became the man that I am Mm -hmm. I wasn't instilled with limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. as I think so many people from let's say traditional households Mm -hmm. uh, are encouraged to take the the smart the tried and true kind of linear path you Mm -hmm. get good grades go to a good school get a degree in something that's sensible that you can make a good career out of and then you follow that rabbit hole that tried and true train track and that's your life and my parents never tried to push that down my throat Mm -hmm. they're both artists and I knew from the jump that creativity and art was my path and they always just poured on the yes. Mm-hmm. Poured on the yes for me.
1: You know, and I'm, I'm, I was that teenager that lacking, certainly lacking creative guidance and encouragement. I'm 16, 17. I'm good at math. I have no idea what i want to do with my life but i'm good at math turns out i'm also good at writing but nobody really nurtured that in me but i was good at math so you know i get an air force scholarship to study engineering go to school i fucking hated engineering i was good at it but hated it and then i go into the military you know so five years college five years active duty air force engineering i'm fucking dead inside
2: mm.
1: just dead and you know, I started, so I got out of the military at 26, I started my writing journey, I would say, late 30s, you know, I'm 48 now, even in the military, I, you know, my suffering, I started playing guitar, I would write music, like that side was coming through me, but it was, again, not nurtured, nobody encouraging me, nobody helping, but but that, that you know, we're, you and I are talking about creativity today, and you know, I, I didn't start really start on my 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 full-on creative journey as a writer till mm. probably 30, I don't know, just say 36, 37. And I think about that, man. You know, and I know so many of our listeners, so many of, of the men and women listening, likewise either just didn't have an environment that encouraged their creativity, or they had an environment that actively discouraged creativity in favor of what would make money yeah you know what would create security what would i don't know get them the the, the things of comfort that our society says are important so you know what do we get wrong I, I hate that word but i'll just use it what what do we get wrong about creativity like what are we what are we missing about creativity i mean
0: everything <laughs> Especially in kind of traditional American, modern American and modern Western views of masculinity, you know, creativity itself is a feminine energy. It's generative, it's incubative, it is birthing something new, it's very fluid and nonlinear. So, you know, if you fall in love with poetry. All too often, you know, until let's say the late 90s as like slam poetry came back to the forefront. Like hip-hop brought poetry really back to the forefront. But poetry, oh, you must be gay. Go read this Hemingway. Or for that matter, put the book down. Here's a baseball bat. Go learn to swing it. Mm. Oh, you want to you wanna paint? Like whatever it is, there's this... Right idea that creativity is a is a folly that it's not a monetizable career that it's not of value the same way a linear and logical pursuit may be Mm -hmm. and that if you spend too much time doing creative things it makes you soft Mm -hmm. and the idea that we have to be hard as men is very much a modern convention Uh, The ideal man of yesteryear was incredibly well-rounded. You know, the great warriors of antiquity were also well-versed in philosophy Mm -hmm. and the arts and metaphysics. You know, I think about samurai culture and uh, the art of calligraphy. And you can see this in, in certain cinematic depictions. But there's a lot of history about great samurai and warriors of the sword in Japan being encouraged to study ancient calligraphy, so the art of a brush stroke, and that the use of their brush was just as important as the mastery of their sword. What a beautiful concept. Mm-hmm. But kind of circling us back in, I think the misconception is that creativity does not have as equal a generative value or a monetizable outcome as a degree in math, let's say. Mm -hmm. And since we all have this notion that we've got to play our role in society and fend for ourselves, we choose things that are on the surface more easily commodified, more easily monetizable because we, again, don't live in a society that values the arts the way some other cultures do i mean half of europe subsidizes the arts because they realize culturally the importance what it does for the human spirit we have to have the arts what would life be without music theater there's a reason that yeah you know everyone from greco-roman society through you know the renaissance in all of europe all went to the theater concerts were largely free and open um, in indigenous cultures, music, dance, storytelling. It's just a part of us. So culturally, we've gotten away from the idea that everyone should be somehow involved in that. And I think it's really healthy and cathartic, one, to ingest it. It gives us a window outside of ourselves and allows us to have often an empathetic and cathartic experience seeing another story that we can see ourselves in and relate to and having it played out safely outside of our own lives let us lets us know oh we're not alone in this there are altruisms of circumstance and archetypes that play themselves out throughout the history of especially dramatic art literature etc and by having that mirror we get to say like oh I'm okay. We're okay. This is a truth versus the isolated experience that so many of us have.
1: Yeah. I love what James Baldwin said as I was again researching this, this topic of creativity. And I mean, there's just so much wisdom from, from brilliant minds about the importance of creativity. And James Baldwin said something, that the precise role of the artist is to illuminate that darkness Blaze roads through that vast forest, so that we will not, in all our doing, lose sight of its purpose, which is, after all, to make the world a more human dwelling place. Mm-hmm. Love that. You know, you you call yourself, if you will, uh, artist and activist, but I wonder if if every artist, on some level, is activist when doing the sure. art that's true to their their being.
0: What do you say about that? Absolutely. I mean, the slight differentiation, but I think just in choosing a career in the arts and being faithful to your development and progression as an artist, you are taking a stand for humanity and knowing that I am generating something worthwhile that is an uphill battle. And I'm doing this because I have to, because I love it so deeply. And because I know the world needs this medicine. So you could absolutely view that as a form of activism, a form of rebellion, if you will, in a system that is not necessarily designed for it. Um, When I think about activism, I relate it more to like really being specific in attaching to a cause or causes and putting energy directly into whatever it may be that you are getting behind. And I think art has the greatest power to open our eyes and open our hearts to some of the struggles and atrocities around us. And there are certain artists who choose to address socio-political, environmental, et cetera, topics with their art. And I think that's a a slightly amplified form of activism through art. And then there are artists that just, you know, pour out whatever's in their heart and it's maybe not addressing a larger issue. So in my artivism, I often will go and shoot for and address those larger issues and do so also outside of my creativity. But yes, I do think that in a way you could say that every artist is an activist because they are giving fully of themselves to something greater, which is our collective consciousness. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I think about my own writing journey and, and when I'm doing my most important, let's just say writing, and I don't mean it's important because the world needs it, but I mean, it's important because I need to say it. <clears throat> Big difference, right? In fact, I do my least important writing, it seems to me, my least meaningful writing, at least to me, again, is when I'm writing what I think the world wants or needs. Yep. Be- or it's going to get some outcome that I'm gunning I'm for, you know, whether that's, business you know or just i just think i have to keep feeding a beast a machine you know that i've created through other writing i'm i'm not happy that doesn't make me that doesn't make me feel good you know when i'm i guess art as a commodity i suppose Mm -hmm. versus creating you know the words i love language language is my 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 clay right and i get to shape clay and i'll spend oh man i'll spend I'll agonize over a sentence, (laughs) what word goes here, you know, and that it's, it's punishing and painful and excruciating and I have to do it. And I love it all at the same, you know, what say you about, about that artistic process and, and, and for you, what is, you know, what does it mean to, to create meaningful art to you and and what's the process like? Is it always feel
0: good? Um the process is so vastly varied um, especially because I am actively engaged in so many different art forms as a writer a writer of poetry a screenwriter stage writer a lyricist obviously a poetry song uh an actor a filmmaker uh an instrumentalist Mm -hmm. it's always different what the approach is that come from i think at its core art for me started as the most positive outlet for catharsis that i could find in my younger years full of angst and at times deep darkness i could let it out safely through my pen i could let it out on one of these guitars and i started telling stories and just expressing myself just to get it out and as my journey as an artist evolved as my evolution as a man continued i realized like oh i can not only do this for myself but i can while still pouring out truth get specific about messaging and try and steer and feed consciousness. But this kind of all circles me to uh, one of the core things that I think is most important about creativity that's especially missed for men. Like we don't have enough outlets as men to safely process and offload our emotions. Men don't speak to each other traditionally with the same level of vulnerability and safety We don't have enough tools in the tool belt because they're not taught to us, given to us through our lives to, again, safely process and offload what's happening for us emotionally, uh, spiritually, otherwise. So you get the more normative, like, physical aggression. Men drink, fight, we go go to war, we go hunt, and all too often we just shove that shit down. Use porn these days. Right. I think that creativity, if encouraged, if taught, if celebrated, can be one of the most positive, healthy uh, decompression valves for all human beings. Yeah. But especially for men in our society, because it allows you to safely and in a healthy way, process your own shit. Yeah. Individually. That's something that all too often, again, we don't have, it's just like me alone in my thoughts. I can't talk to my female partner. I can't talk to any of my boys about it. I certainly can't bring it into my workplace. Like where do we get to put shit as men? If we don't have friends like you and I containers, like the one we're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest values of creativity and why some of the, geniuses that we now laud through history became pedestaled in the way they were.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think of, you know, TV, mm. the, the family or the, or the guy or the husband and wife or whoever, just, just nighttime that nighttime talking around a fire has been replaced with sitting and watching TV, right? We have outsourced our own creativity, whether it's just the creativity of conversation or, mm-hmm you know somebody in the somebody in the family or in the in the in the village you know just reading poetry at a dinner party Mm -hmm. at a dinner gathering uh we've outsourced creativity to a degree that you know i have this i have this dream this vision and it it may be hundreds of years from now where we've we've reconstituted the village experience right and and we are outside regularly with our neighbors in the evenings, you know, gathered around fires at the little pavilion down by the, the, uh, the shared eating space or, mm. um, and you know, every Friday, every Thursday, right. Everybody's, we're not watching TV individually in our homes. We are now all together springing our creativity, whether again, it's, it's doing a little dance or, or singing a little song or what's the other, what's the third part of that? Make a,
0: love make a little love <laughs> yeah that's the part of that one. <laughs> well that's hey, a that's we a can do that as a village too
1: that's a very specific village if you, you might want to go live in or you might not but uh <laughs> but that i man i crave that on some level i feel like i have been robbed you know the modern world has robbed me of the regular expression of my own creativity such that you know i i'm a creative beast but i i the the containers aren't really there for me to get to regularly express that and then when i step into such a container whether it's even you know in our groups like when we all we men all meet i mean some of you men are just you 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 are performers that is what you do for your living right so you're steeped in it what happens for me is I get I get a little jammed up. I get a little ner- I get nervous. I get I get I get oh, stiffy. Here comes the stiffy, and you know I think a lot of men live in that place.
0: I mean, what? First of all, we got to delineate. Are you getting stiff? Or are you getting stiffy?
1: I'm getting <laughs> stiff, not a stiffy. I have a stiffy for wanting to be less stiff, but. Yeah, man. In fact, the opposite. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting my body just clenches. In fact, a lot of men live there. I mean, and 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, love making doesn't erupt very beautifully from that place. Like a lot of men, we live stuck with creativity, stuck in our bodies, such that you know, what, what say you to the man that experiences that regularly? That's listened listening to this. There's a part of him, like the shutdown. You know, he wrote poetry in high school, or he. You know, did acting, you know, he he joined the, the drama team as a in sixth grade and he had an amazing time. But again, like me, he had to go the engineering route or he had to become an accountant or a lawyer or he had to put that. He just got a family and had to go to his job and just put all those other creative things aside. And now his body is just stiff. He's he's stuck in a way. I mean, what, what do you say to that man?
0: I say that any time, any day is the right time to reclaim your sovereignty and express yourself. And, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, the old saying, like we are not responsible for what happened to us, but we are responsible for what we do with it. Hmm. So if something was repressed in us, if we were traumatized and like, even being told, like, you're not a good singer stop singing. Mm -hmm. Like that is traumatic and will make people close off their voices.
1: Or girls, girls, you know, that's for, that's for pussies or that's for gay.
0: You know, you're gay if you want to sing and dance or paint. Right. Right. And we live in a time, especially now where individual freedom is being once again, highly celebrated. Uh, One of the interesting positive aspects of where we are with social media and the kind of opening and blossoming of uh, the celebration of individuality and expression. It's no longer taboo to do whatever makes you feel good. And I think it's all of our responsibility to find what truly makes us feel good and makes us feel alive and actively seek opportunities to do that. And especially if you have taken a path that wasn't necessarily your highest excitement, a more linear nine to five and found yourself in a container or in a pattern that doesn't ignite your soul. I'm not saying you have to go shatter your pattern and blow up your world, but we have to find things that make us feel alive and fulfilled and free. Finding some form of freedom and whether that's hiking up onto a mountaintop and just doing a primal scream or singing your favorite song, taking your notebook instead of, you know, sitting down to watch your, your favorite TV show, like take a pen and just write. And I think that's a challenge that I'd give to every, every man out there watching and listening to this, Uh, you know, again, hearkening back to antiquity, like great men of all ages were encouraged to be good writers whether you're writing a letter of correspondence, like they used to actually teach letter writing in school. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you had letter writing as a part of your instruction at some point. We don't write letters anymore. We write short little emails. But not just letter writing and correspondence, like write your thoughts, your feelings down. And even if you crumple up that piece of paper, even if you go out in the backyard and burn it so no one can ever find it, I think we will all surprise ourselves by what comes forth when we just set aside the time, create the space, and allow ourselves to try. And we've been discouraged from trying, especially as men.
1: I, I really like the suggestion, too, that some creativity also can just be just, you know, go on a hike, go somewhere and scream just move energy through your body just i think a lot of us men too if we ever scream it's it's because we're triggered and angry at a spouse or a child or a colleague or a friend or Mm -hmm. and 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 that comes out and then we feel even more shame around our voice
0: yeah
1: versus and then then there's the other side of that the man who just who's who never uses his voice or who shut down around his voice or is playing the nice guy all the time so he has Again, he doesn't know how to use his voice anymore he long ago disconnected from his voice so even just that the act of growling sometimes with when when i'm working with men in a workshop setting i'll i'll, I'll just growl mm-hmm. that's that's vulnerable to yeah, growl yeah. except like a man that hasn't used his voice or that only uses it for out of anger and intrigue to just
0: growl you know what this brings up for me is vibration, Mm. right? We know that all matter is energy vibrating at different levels. And we live a largely stagnant and sedentary life, increasingly so as we become adults and locked in patterns. And if you look at indigenous and tribal societies all around the world, they are constantly vibrating. They are singing, they are Mm -hmm. dancing, they are moving. There's a somatic release. That is part of damn near everyday life. Yeah. So, whether it be a growl or a hike or whatever it is, I think finding ways for us to vibrate will actually change our mental state, our emotional state. I highly recommend song and dance, whether it's turning the fucking music all the way up in your car and singing your balls out on the way to work, like allow yourself to vibrate from within or growl, if you can find a place to actually move your body and dance. Like that is some of the most powerful medicine that we can give ourselves. And it's again, something that we have not been taught to give ourselves quite the opposite. We've been taught to not vibrate, sit up straight, stand still, Mm -hmm. be quiet. Like We're being taught poison for our consciousness and our physiology
1: yeah i don't wear i remember my the 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 uniform i had to wear in the military the air force blues with a tie and had to wear suspenders that were attached that would attach my shirt to my socks under my pants like stiff man stiff Mm -hmm. it's hard to dance in suspender in in a suspended (laughs) shirt you know that's attached to your socks it's hard to you know even wearing a tie right when i was in college uh, I was in a fraternity and, and you know, fraternities like to wear ties for some reason. And we would, you know, we, but we'd get alcohol in our bodies. Dancing and the ties would always end up like bandanas around our heads. Right. <laughs> Which now we're having a good time, but we're also wasted. And I, I think that's another way that men tend to access creativity or at least looseness, you know, get, get, get into their bodies, get some flow in their bodies is through the the pouring of, 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 of spirits, alcohol, Mm. particularly Mm. drugs, alcohol into the body. And, you know, I know, I'd be curious to hear your, your experience about this because I know that that you use substances in your creative process. Absolutely. And Uh, intentionally versus like what, like what's the delineation between creative thoughtful, contained use of substances and just, you know, the man who's, again, just by Friday, he's just fucking done with uh, uh, being in his stiff body all week and now he just needs to drink himself into some kind of oblivion.
0: Woo! So, I think one of the reasons that we see so many men turn to alcohol and other substances, as you said, is it is... A release valve that allows them to get to the place where they are singing drunk, they are dancing, they are boisterous and free because a certain level of inhibition has been washed away and not stripped away positively. Uh, It's been, you know, obliterated by unconscious use of substance. And I think the conscious use of substance is another really key element of how i became the man that i am yeah. so i started smoking cannabis in end of ninth grade and and prior to that i was on ssdi is like a huge pharmaceutical cocktail of mood stabilizers and antidepressants at, at, and what I started, age, at
1: what age we're talking like
0: like 11 was when it all started when you're um, being put on oh yeah essentially
1: pharma pharma psychotropic. i don't know what the technical term is but shit to
0: shit to control your brain yeah so i feel like i should run it back and give us a little more context Sure, please so when i was 11 my dark night of the soul came um i was a a brilliant kid and highly gifted magnets all my all my life and beginning of sixth grade i got transferred to the school that was an ultra fast track program that was designed to have you graduate from high school and start college by the age that you're done with middle school so i was taken out of one group of friends popped into this new program hyper advanced course of study things at home were rough just emotionally psychically and i snapped under the new pressure from Mm. my educational environment the lack of Structure and support that was present at home, um, I became legitimately suicidal and violent and angry, and I had three different periods in locked psychiatric facilities when I was eleven years old. Mm. And in that time, put on all these different psychopharmacological answers to try and stabilize my young, brilliant, wild, fucked brain. Mm. So a couple years of finding some kind of stability and center, some smaller specialized schools for kids with a varying array of uh, emotional issues, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And in ninth grade, beginning of high school, I went back to normal public school. I was once again in a magnet for the arts and I started to, just realized like, this is not sustainable. I got to get myself, I got to get like my heart, my brain, my everything right. So, you know, the culture of LA public school, like weed's prevalent, right? So I started smoking weed and, oh, this ain't so bad. Hmm. And I started pulling myself off of um, these other pharmaceutical drugs, which I knew I could feel in my own energy were blocking me in certain ways now granted they're designed to block certain things that's part of the stabilizing mechanism but um, I knew I wasn't whole and so by the end of 10th grade you know I'm suddenly smiling friends social groups like my energy is completely different cannabis definitely wasn't medicine for me at that age and then I got into psychedelics And by the end of 10th grade, um, I was starting to work with psilocybin and LSD. And though just, you know, fun and exploratory at first, my consciousness kind of right off the bat realized like, oh, this is transcendent medicine. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I can just have fun with this. But I also had some deeply transformational spiritual experiences Mm. that gave me a tremendous respect for uh, psychedelics and altered states.
2: Mm.
0: Now, granted, I also did my fair share of beer bongs and keg stands and like, (laughs) you know, through the end of high school into college, like Uh plenty of unconscious consumption of substances. That was just like a Yahoo good time.
1: Yeah transcendental in different
0: ways. Right. But my work with psychedelics continued to eventually lead me to ayahuasca, which is one of my greatest teachers. I'm going to assume that most people have heard of it, but for those who haven't, ayahuasca is an indigenous ceremonial plant medicine originating from the Amazon. It's used by hundreds of tribes throughout the entire Amazon basin. It contains DMT, which is the most powerful psychedelic known to man, and an MAO inhibitor that allows us to metabolize it for an extended period of time. And it's like an eight-hour, very intentional ritual, spiritual journey. So it is not a recreational experience. You go in there to do work. And I've worked with ayahuasca for 10 years now, highly intentionally and gone from just recipient of the healing to apprentice, having learned to cook the medicine, being taught to serve the medicine, which is a choice that I've made to not serve at this moment, but conversation for another time. All this to wrap back around and say, I think we as men and as a society choose to imbibe spirits and drugs because they help us to step outside of ourself all too often it's in an unconscious and escapist way Mm -hmm. but if we choose to use certain substances with the intention of rather escape than escaping myself like i'm going to go into myself you get a different outcome you get a healthy relationship with substance where it's not being abused it's being used it becomes a tool, a pathway, and you can get great work done. And that is true of the gamut of substances for the most part. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe not crack cocaine and heroin. I've never tried those. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason they call spirits spirits.
1: So dear listener, check this out. At this point in my conversation with Aria when we were recording this live, Aria needed to take a bathroom break. And you know what I did? I paused the recording. And you know what else I did? When he came back, I didn't restart the recording. (laughs) Oh, man. So we lost the last part, which included a beautiful and profound spoken word poem called Dare to Dream. I was kind of heartbroken, as I've never made that mistake so far, but I did this time. Now, REA was gracious enough to re-record that spoken word poem for me and for you a week after our conversation. And here it is now to close us out. Dare to Dream by Arie or Orcats.
0: Dreams. Premonitions and predictions produced in purity without restrictions or inhibitions. Born in the place behind the eyelids where we lie listening to silence, most sigh this. I wish. Wanton wantings of these grandiose goals ever haunting. You see, the mountaintop is daunting. So most recline instead of climb. Passing their time writing dreams off as ethereal instead of manifesting them into material. Talking about steak where you're still eating cereal? Red or blue pill? You choose as you will. Personally, I do not acknowledge a line between dreams and reality. Impossible is only a fallacy that society fucks us with phallically starting around, let's say, age three. And Lord knows, society has fucked the shit out of me. But I'm rapidly recovering. Hovering over a sea of apathy suspended by the final strings of a self-knotted noose. Only knowledge of self-cultivated can cut me loose and kill the captor of my own ego's creation. So consider this, my Emancipation Proclamation. Fresh out of patience for the blind and complacent, I have zero fucks left to give. Only one life to live. At least in this incarnation. So let's do this shit big. Because every moment is truly precious. And it is not selfish to live each and every one as if it were your last. Strive for your personal highest happiness, and learn to forgive your past. Because all we will ever truly have is right here and right now. So will you live behind your wall of imaginary what-ifs? Or will you find the strength and courage to tear your own bullshit down and dare to dream?
1: Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my dear brother R E A Orr. You can find R-E-A on Spotify at R-E A-Or. You spell that A-R-Y-E-H-O-R. And you can also find him on Instagram. It says REA underscore or. And of course, all these links and resources will be in the show notes at Brianreeves.com/slash way podcast. And also remember, if you'd like to experience empowering transformational coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experiences or just elevate your life in the ways that are most meaningful to you, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate and fill out the application on that page to get started on your coaching journey with me. Depending on when you hear this, we may be full, but no worries, just fill out the application there as there are other ways we can work together to help you get where you want to go. Again, it's Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate. And lastly, please go write a review of this podcast right now on your podcast app. I know I make this request every episode, uh, but please do so. Doing so helps me immensely. It helps this show immensely because it helps other people realize that this is a trustable space and I would really deeply appreciate it. I, I see all of all of the reviews. So um, I appreciate you taking some time to do that should you choose to. And of course, don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed and your thoughts inspired. <music>